like with our friends said, we've had similar backgrounds. And I know for myself and my siblings, for my, my friends, I know I'm probably their only black friend. Yep. And it isn't simply because they have any type of prejudice. It's just we've come together in an orbit of having something in common, whether it be the gym or like with Andy and I being journalists. So I think that's what brings people together. And I've often had a lot of my friends say, Marcus, you're more white than we are. Hello, and welcome to Among Neighbors, a podcast about race, power, and privilege. I'm Andy Conti, director of the Center for Media Innovation at Point Park University. And as always, I'm joined by Barbara Johnson, director of race and gender equity at YWCA Greater Pittsburgh. Barbara, I have kind of an awkward question for you today. Are yeah. we are we friends? <laughs> That's a great question, Andy. So um, for the audience, Andy and I met maybe two years ago, and we work um, in the same building, but not in the same place. So he's at Point Park and I'm at the YWCA upstairs. So we run across each other. And then um, last year we had been talking, we had been into a, a, at a couple of external in um, uh, initiatives that were focused on race in Pittsburgh. And so then we kind of got to talking about, let's do this podcast on race. And, um, and so we've been doing that. And so COVID hit right after our first one, I think. And so, um, you know, as I contemplate that question, I think of the things that might be, might say we're friends. Um, and so I think that we're on the cusp of being friends and we have the foundation, but I think that, you know, in terms of like friendships go, like I wouldn't list you as one of like my go-to people. Right. Yeah. We're kind of, I mean, I'd say we're, we're friendly, right? Uh, yeah, a little bit more than that. Yeah. Like, you know, one of the things that I think about, like, if you think about what's a friend is, you know, there's got to be that trust piece and there's got to be that, like, connection that you could build on that. And I think that we have that. Like, I don't think there's there's not there's nothing that I wouldn't feel uncomfortable talking to you about. And I do feel like we have a level of trust just based on our, you know, personalities and and how we chat with each other. So yeah, I think that um, we could be F-R-I-E-N. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, I mean, obviously that's what we're talking about today are interracial friendships. And I, I, when you proposed doing a conversation on this, uh, it really just resonated with me immediately because I, I have struggled with this issue because I, I one, I, I, I think just my personality, tend to, I tend to act like everybody's a friend, like, you know, anybody I, I meet, like I can, we can be friends instantly. But then, uh, one of the black people I know who turned out, I guess was an acquaintance, uh, said to me, no, we're not really friends. You've never been to my house for dinner. I've never been to your house. We've never hung out outside of, uh, you know, work or, or, you know, how we knew each other. And so I was like, oh yeah, I guess you're right. We're like, we're, we're friendly, <laughs> but we're not friends. I, um, and, and I, I think the other thing is like for a white person in, in Pittsburgh and in this region, uh, you know, and when you get outside of the city, it's even more possible. I think it's possible to go through a lot of your life and not really have a, a lot of black friends, like people that you know really, really well. Uh, and, and how can we ever overcome racism if we don't even know each other? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do you, so, and just, um, so today we're going to introduce a couple of our, 
our, our own personal interracial friendships. But uh, before we do that, I'm just wondering if you, because you're not an original Pittsburgher, you're a transplant here. Do you have you found Pittsburgh yeah. to be a friendly city or? Uh, that's a very interesting question. Um, I think that I have found it to be a friendly city. One of the things that um, uh, many of my brown and black colleagues who are not from here talk about is how the not from here does displace you to some degree, for sure. So the people who grew up in Pittsburgh and you know went to the same grade school, went to the same high school, go to each other's reunions, there are definitely some cliques that you know, I think that there are people who are my friends, but that I don't always feel like those click, that they have closer friendships that don't necessarily involve me um, because I'm not from here. So yeah, I think that that definitely happens in Pittsburgh, but I don't, I wouldn't say, I, I don't feel, I, I've not experienced a not friendly feeling, but definitely yeah. an outsider. That's feeling. so funny. The outsider thing, like that can be as big a, a hurdle here in Pittsburgh as as anything I imagine, right? Like if you're not from here and if you haven't been here for at least 20 years, you're, you're not, you're an outsider, right? So. Right. Yeah. And outsiders, I mean, in your first couple of years, they, they're very clear about it. And in terms of professionalism, I suspect when I came, I had just gotten married. So, you know, my husband and I were navigating the city together. So we had that in common, but like, I've talked to many professionals who come here for a new job and, you know, they can't even make friends because there's no open doors. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. We lived in Cincinnati for a while and it was very much like that. Uh, we had yeah. difficulty making friends there as well for that exact reason. And, and it turned out we were only there for maybe three years. And, and when we left, almost all of our friends were people who were not from Cincinnati as well. So. Interesting. Well, let, yeah. yeah, let's, let's meet your friend. This is kind of, a, this is got a different approach for us today. Do you want to introduce yourself? It friend? is. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Connie is my good friend. We actually met through work um, many moons ago. Uh, uh, we worked together and then um, you know, we were friendly with each other at work and we got along. And so we started to play tennis together competitive. Well, first we learned to play tennis <laughs> and, we played, and we did that together. And then we, you know, played tenor, tennis together competitively. And um, we both had similar likes in terms of food. So we ate out went to eat out a lot together. And then, um, you know, I have a son who is uh 29 and Connie has been to all of uh, two sons. She's been to both of their, you know, one-year-old birthday parties and, um, you know, on and on and on. So we go way back and, um, you know, I would introduce Connie as a very, very close friend whom, um, you know, even if we don't talk to each other for a long period of time, we could easily get together and have a blast. Connie, yeah. <laughs> welcome. Connie George, nice to, nice to, I would say nice to meet you, but we've already met. I, I know you. So how, what, how does that sound? What uh, Barbara just described? Yeah, I, I feel like Barbara, you know, a lot of people grew up in, um, in their adolescent years, but I think I really grew up the most when I, at the time that I met Barbara and I worked at the YMCA of Pittsburgh and I just grew as a person and Barbara was a big part of that. So um, I think that makes our friendship even more special because I can say today that there's no better, there, nowhere that I've worked and I've worked at a lot of great places as we talked about earlier, that I have, I have learned as much as I learned from the YMCA of Pittsburgh. 
and it opened doors and opened my mind a whole lot. So, um, and Barbara was a big part of that. Well, so before we go any further, can you tell us a little bit about who you are? You, you mentioned these jobs. What, what work do you do? Uh, well, I'm the senior director of marketing for Carnegie Science Center. I've been there a little over three years. Um, prior to that, I have to remember, I think I was at Phipps Conservatory for three years. And then prior to that, visit Pittsburgh as their vice president of communications. And prior to that, for 13 years at the Pittsburgh Zoo and PPG Aquarium. You were kind of famous when you were at the zoo, right? I mean, you were the, the spokesperson for the zoo for a long time. Everybody gets famous when they work for the zoo, okay. you know, and they're a spokesperson. <laughs> yeah, right. Nothing to do with me. It has to do with baby lions, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, let me introduce you to Marcus. Marcus Charleston is the friend I invited to be on here today. Uh, Marcus, hello. Hello. Uh, so Marcus and I met, he was the producer for, at WSA, the NPR station in Pittsburgh. He was a producer for Essential Pittsburgh and the Confluence. And then we we started working together. I was a fill-in host for a while and he was my producer and, and we became friendly through that. And... Uh, you know, I've been grateful to you to call you friend, to ha you know, have you as a friend in my life. So, uh, hello. Thank you. Yeah. Likewise. And now you're, you, but you left Pittsburgh. You're out in Phoenix. Uh, Marcus got a job at KJZZ and, uh, yes. as a producer out there and he's now actually looking around for work in public radio. So is that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, I took a job at KJZZ and due to budget cuts, it was cut so i'm on a hiatus right now from public radio and based on this past year i've been happy to be out of the newsroom so. <laughs> yeah absolutely it's a stressful time for sure so do you think of me as your white friend or are we just friends at what point just, did we just, become friends <laughs> just as friends and Harking back to the conversation everyone had in the beginning when you were talking about when you were in cincinnati and first living in this city, I was in Baltimore before I came to Pittsburgh. And the cities are very much alike. It's very much, it's who, who do you know? And there's no six degrees of separation. It's more like two. And much like with a lot of my friendships, and I think what happens in cities like that is people aren't excluding someone based on where they're from or race. Sometimes it's just a matter of what you have in common. Mm -hmm. And I know that's happened with, for myself and my siblings, we grew up in a small city in upstate New York and pretty much an all white community. And oftentimes, even as we've gone away and moved to different places, we've, most of our friends have been, you know, Caucasian. And we prefer, we prefer you should call us white. We prefer white. white. Yeah, that's I'm sorry. No, white. I, I, yeah. I'm offended. <laughs> and, yeah, I'm offended. Yeah. And but it's also because we've had like with our friends said, we've had similar backgrounds. And I know for myself and for my siblings, for a lot of my friends, I know I'm probably their only black friend. Yeah. And it isn't simply because they have any type of prejudice it's just we've come together in an orbit of having something in common whether it be the gym or like with andy and i being journalists so i think that's what brings people together and i've often had a lot of my friends 
say, Marcus, you are more white than we are. So, <laughs> what do you think that means? What, yeah, what do they mean by that? They mean by they mean it as a compliment because of luckily having a journalistic and strong liberal arts background, kind of being versed, you know a little bit about a lot of things. And so having a background where I've been a freelance writer, uh, published poet, done been in movies, the opera, and all these experiences I've had. Well, you know, they've been wonderful. A friend of mine who's a freelance journalist once said, we played the part of the glamour friend. We have these careers that seem so exciting. We don't make bupkis, but you have these great experiences. Yeah, yeah. No, I understand that. So I've never, I didn't really think of you as my black friend. Um, we were just friends and I, you know, I appreciated everything you did. You really taught me how to, how to speak on radio. I mean, I don't, not to, you might be ashamed by the way I'm talking today, but, um, you know, <laughs> I'm hosting the show here, but you really, you know, you brought me along and I appreciated that. And, but the other thing that I, unlike, um, what Connie and Barbara said was that I, I do appreciate that you and I've been able to have conversations around race though, that we're able to, you know, that I, I can go to you and ask you questions that, um, I have about race. I, I hope that, I don't know how you feel about that. Is that no, no, that's, it's fine because I'd much rather someone be honest and open. I had, um, it's interesting because race has not come up that often in conversation with my friends. And I was home recently back in upstate New York. And the friend that I grew up with asked me, someone I've known since grade school, asked me for the first time, they said, what was it like for you growing up here? And I often wondered about that. And I sometimes say we, <laughs> my siblings are doing a disservice to some of our friends because we, I always kid around about this being urban impaired. I said, we're not, you know, the tip, we didn't grow up in urban environments with a lot of, you know, other people of color or different races. But there's always been a great level of comfort. I don't tell, when I was in high school, we were sitting around the table myself and being a person of color. And we were talking about applying for college and getting financial aid. And one of the people at the table said, the only way I'm going to get money for college is if I claim I'm a poor black child. And we all laughed. And then about 20 minutes later, he said to me, he goes, I'm sorry, I didn't mean. I was like, I didn't take it that way. I didn't take it as you were making a joke about people of color. And I think that's been with my relationships with other people, with having conversations with Andrew, it's having, being able to have that level of comfort with someone and give them perspective that they might not be able to have. I found, and I'm talking too much, I apologize. I found, I've worked in a factory, blue collar factory, where you're kind of expecting some tension, people not liking you based on your skin color, which you're thinking, okay, I'd much or I'm there, so you know, expect it. I guess what I found was more troubling was having worked in public radio, which was woke before that became a term, and having dealt with more what we called when I was in Philadelphia, subtly blatant racism. What did you call it? I'm sorry. What? Subtly blatant. Oh, subtly blatant. Yeah. Okay. Marcus, and, where did you grow up in New York? Um, a place called, a town called Oneida. It's right in the center, geographical center of New York State. Oh, okay. The silverware is from there. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, that's good. 
good way to remember it. <laughs> Barbara, did it? You know, I thought it was interesting you said about making friendships in new cities. I think people from Pittsburgh and probably many other cities are very friendly, but are also very parochial. So they're friendly to strangers and to acquaintances. But then when it comes time to be a true friend, that's a little bit different. They have you know, they have a much more insular sort of attitude. Um, and I, the other thing yeah. that you said about you're more white than me, um, that I told Barbara that once because she said that, you know, whenever she adopted her kids, that she went to a black adoption agency because they wanted someone who, um, who had, you know, who could relate their children and help their children through the black community. And um, I was like, Barbara, I grew up in Carrick and you grew up in this privileged, you know, environment. I grew up in like, you know, poverty, but, <laughs> but, you know, that's kind of when I think back on it, I think that's kind of being a white supremacist actually even saying that because it's saying that only white people are, you know, articulate and, you know, are um, educated and right. It's it. I don't know. I just now that I look back on it, I think it was a white privileged thing to say. You know. <laughs> so, what do you think, Barbara? Um, I you know I I think that um, when I think about like where I grew up, um, Connie, I think you're remembering me from a from a professional capacity because I literally grew up in a very small town um, uh, with a single mother in poverty. And, but I did go to an all white Catholic school. And so Mm -hmm. similar to you, Marcus, you know, I mean, I was surrounded by kids, white kids, my entire, you know, grade school, high school, because Catholic schools in Massachusetts we're all white. There were no black people who sent their kids to Catholic schools except my family. <laughs> so myself and my brothers spent all of our grade school and high school years pretty much surrounded by, um, you know, white kids and teenagers. And so, you know, the, your grade school kids and your high school kids are who your friends are. And so, you know, that was a comfort level for me. And so as you were talking, Marcus, I was thinking, like, is it easier for um, black and brown people who grow up in predominantly white communities to be able to navigate white friendships and black friendships pretty seamlessly and in greater numbers than if, you know, if I were to have um, gone to school at an all black, um, you know, school, I don't know, but it just made me think about that. Um, I'm curious for both of Barbara and Marcus, if there was a time in your life when you intentionally then sought out uh, black friends. I, I think about, you know, Kamala Harris, our new vice president, saying how she went to Howard University to have that experience of being in a black environment. Did either of you have that kind of moment where you were like, I need to go be among black people? I actually did. Um, and it wasn't so much that I wanted to be around black people. Like I picked a college based on the major that I wanted, but I remember intentionally thinking to myself, like, I have to figure out a way to fit in with black people. (laughs) 
And it was so funny because, you know, I am black, but my background was, and I didn't realize that until I was in college, my background was from the Jamaican culture. So all of the black people that went to school with me were from the South. And so once again, I have nothing in common. You know, they talked about the food that they ate. They talked, I didn't know how to dance. They talked about dance. I mean, everything that that, that was part of their life that, that I could try to connect with aside from my skin color didn't match me at all. So, you know, I, I did make uh, good black friends while I was in college, but it was a very intentional process for me, but it also helped me to learn more about the, the varying cultures that come into the black and brown communities that we don't, that th- we don't talk about that. Like nobody ever in my college years you know, gave me the space to talk about the fact that I'm from the Jamaican culture and that I don't have the same Southern cultural roots that you have. And then I remember when I got married, I was like, I don't care who it is, but I'm going to have a black maid of honor. <laughs> and her and I are really good friends to this day, but I never told her that story. But I'm sure when I asked her, she was like, like, I've only known you for two years. Like, do you want me to be your maid of honor? I'm like, yes. Why was that important? I don't know why. I mean, you know, like I was young and I think that it was just culturally, I was really trying to find myself. And I just felt like, you know, if I'm going to enter into the greater world beyond Holyoke, Massachusetts, like I had to really see what's out there and really connect with people who look like me. And I suppose um, I may have had, and I can't remember them, but I may have had some, you know, racial experiences that, that, made me really think about like, how do I share these with people who understand what it's like? And I think that that's what happens Mm -hmm. um, in the high school and college years that you start to, you know, you get called the N word maybe for the first time or, you know, race becomes part of your identity in a negative way. And then you have to sort that out. And so, you know, I needed people to sort it out with. I did not have the experience. I never had a period where I felt, okay, I need to go and and I don't know why, maybe it was a level of comfort I had in having had this discussion with my siblings. And so we were very fortunate growing up where we did, we said, but we were, it was great in terms of broadening our horizons because my mom made sure that we had a very good liberal arts education growing up. But it also, I said, it was also, um, harmful to us in terms of getting out in the real world. We were used to, okay, you worked hard, you studied hard on this test, you got the A, you won this honor or this award because you're a good student, you're a good athlete. But to get out into the real world, you realize, okay, you are first seen as a person of color. Mm-hmm. So that is, that, that's a strike against you. And it's interesting, when I was in Pittsburgh, there was a group of African-American professional men who would meet every month. And that was, and outside of the National Association of Black Journalists, that's the only major organization of, or gathering of people of color I have been at. Having worked in public radio, I was you know, one, probably the only black male public radio producer in the country. And when you're at public radio events, very rarely are you there with, are there, is there a lot of diversity? Mm. And I was at an event one time in Baltimore and a Latinx woman was sitting behind me. And afterwards she 
said, she goes, I'm so glad to see you here. And she was visibly upset. She goes, she goes, cause I love public radio, but oftentimes I feel it's not for people of, who are diverse. And before she could get that out, I knew what she was going to say. And I said, I appreciate you saying that. And I understand because I've had my personal struggles with working in public radio and also as, you know, doing what they say, code switching, navigating these worlds, because you're not fully in either world. You're not white, you're not fully white, you're not fully black, considered by those groups don't consider you fully part of those worlds. So you have to navigate both of those worlds. And I think that's something that we continually do and by having conversations like this, hopefully we're making things better. How so, many siblings do you yeah. have, Marcus? I have three brothers and one sister. Okay. And it's funny because two of my siblings are married. Everyone else is in relationships, but their relationships are all interracial. Interracial. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have four brothers, so five altogether. Um, and I have two brothers who are in interracial um, relationships. One married and one both two married, actually. The two that are in interracial mar are married. It's interesting like that. I don't know that there are a lot of white people or I don't know of any white people that have to navigate into a black culture. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you are, you both just said you have to navigate that culture and try to, you know, balance the two or where as a white person, I don't have that opportunity really, you know, and I, and maybe I don't take the opportunity or I don't know how to, but, um, but I've never like had to encounter, I guess at the YMCA maybe. And I felt hundred percent comfortable there, but I, but then since then I've never been in a job where there's been a lot of black mm -hmm. people that I tried to integrate myself with, you know, because yeah. there weren't any, right? Yeah, that's a good point. I, I think one of the things that um, that I noticed about Andy was, um, you know, in our conversations together, one of the first things that we connected with was um, he wanted to have some um, community meetings where um, media people could talk to people in the black community, like at a community level, not just like the leaders or, you know, key officials, but just everyday people. And so um, the YWCA um, collaborated with him and I attended that, it, that event and it was in a library in Homewood. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I wonder what it feels like for all these white media people to like come to Homewood, you know, and, and which is a predominantly a black community and also has some negative connotations to it. And, you know, be at a library where all the people who are coming in are also black and are, you know, everyday people. And their, their, their um, intent was to be listeners. And so it wasn't about them. It was about the people who were there. And I remember that was one of the things that, again, gave me that um, trust in Andy because I noticed how intentional he was about making sure that it was a space that was comfortable for people and that the people from the community had an opportunity to talk and that it wasn't like this, 
you know, we're going to lead it. The white people are going to lead it and we're going to tell you what to do. And it was very organic and very, you know, well-structured to provide community input. So, so I think about like people who do have those opportunities to be in spaces where they are in places that, that the people don't look like them, especially when it's a white person going into an all black community versus the opposite, because I think the opposite happens more than, than that happens. Yeah. Thanks for saying that, Barbara. I, I really appreciate it. it. It means a lot to me um, because I, you know, my, my experience has been, I, I went to a, an almost all white high school. I grew up in an all white, almost all white community in, in Greensburg, uh, Pennsylvania. And I went to a school where literally I, I chose the school because the people in the brochure looked like me. It was a, it was an all white school. I went to Dickinson college in Carlisle and in an almost all white town. And then I got off of my career. And like Marcus said, a lot of newsrooms, most of the places I worked didn't have a lot of black people in them either. And so there weren't a lot of opportunities for that kind of organic friendship to develop. And I, not until too late and, you know, much later in my life did I realize I, I, I was missing out and I needed to be more intentional about it. And so uh, I'm, I'm grateful that you, you know, that you picked up on that and you've included me as someone who's a you know almost a friend, and uh, and I think someday we'll be a friend. Uh, and I, the other key thing for that the event in Homewood that you mentioned, that you know the other reason that it was important for us to have it there was that for a lot of those media people, their only experience of going to Homewood is to go when something bad happens, yeah. you know. And and I wanted to have a create an opportunity for them to go to the community on just an ordinary day and and to be be present and just meet ordinary citizens who haven't, you have, they haven't been, hadn't been involved in anything terrible, nothing horrible had happened. There was no crisis. Uh, it was just an opportunity to have a conversation. So Andy, I have a question for you and maybe you too, Connie, like um, when I, so when you talked about um, uh, living in an all white community and going to white schools, do you have experiences with your neighbors or friends from your community or even family members who who may perceive your having black friends as you know odd or negative in some way like has that ever come up it just wasn't even an issue it was just it wasn't even it wasn't even on the radar i mean i i if i'm this is all about being uncomfortable right so um they one of my earliest memories is being uh, in high school and uh, taking my grandparents to the the hospital somewhere in the city here. And we were going through the Hill District and my uh, my grandfather referring to all the black people on the streets. Uh, and uh, and just, you know, it was sort of like a, a realization for him, like, oh, here we are. We're in the black community. And um, no, it wasn't. I I didn't have people in my life who were saying, don't, you know, don't hang out with black people. It just wasn't even yeah. like, it wasn't even on the part of the conversation. I don't know. How about you, Connie? Um, so I, I didn't grow up in an all white neighborhood. And, and so I, I had, you know, some, some black, you know, friends, but I mean, we hung out at school, but you know, so no, from a school perspective, but my, but for the most part, the friend, the white friends that I hung out with didn't have any black friends. So, you know, if I had a party, 
I was all my my friends always used to say, you know, she always has the United Nations at her parties, you know, <laughs> but it's so that kind of thing happened. But I, it that doesn't mean that I um, haven't been amongst friends or family members who have said things that are very racist or um, or offensive that I haven't, you know, at time like there's times I suck my teeth and don't say anything because it's like Mike's family, my boyfriend's family. But if it's my family, you know, or my friends, then I, you know, stand up and speak out. But um, it's really, yes, of course, Barbara, we've had, I've definitely had not, I, you know, my, my ex-husband was Lebanese and a lot of my family, you know, he had like, he wasn't white, but he wasn't brown. I don't know. What do you think what Mike was? But anyway, <laughs> I guess he was brown, I would say, you know, and he um, and a lot of people in my family had a problem with it, but they never said anything. But I could tell, you know, I never. Um, did your mom and dad like me? Oh, they loved you. Your mother did. I remember. I don't remember. I mean, I think your dad passed away very yeah. early on in our friendship. Oh, yeah, but I know your mom did. But no, it wasn't that they didn't like my mother loved Mike too, but it was more like my extended family, like yeah, uncles yeah, uncles and things. That's like where that. you get those situations where like, oh, I, I don't like this black person, but I don't like black people, right? I, I know you, you're different. I don't, yeah, I don't like, I don't care right. for black people in yeah, general. Yeah, that's true. That happens. Mm-hmm. But like, with how can you be? You know, uh, my sister will say things, and then she has, you know, she has some black friends, and I be like. How can you say that? You have black friends. Do you think your black friends are are like that? Or, you know, do you feel that way about them? And she's like, well, no. And I'm like, get it. You know, I just, yeah. I don't get it. You know, but it, on the other hand, I also learned over the years and, mo and mostly in the last two years, how clueless I've been, you know? Like, and, and you always used to tell me, Barbara, you know, every time I invited you to go to an event with me, you were like, I feel invisible in these events, you know? So the last time we went to an event, it was at Phipps. Yeah. And um, she's like, I'll go, but I'm, you know, I'm always invisible at these. And you knew way more people than I did. <laughs> and, and you were talking to everybody, but I kind of felt invisible. And I was like, Boy, this must be like one fraction of one tenth percent of how Barbara feels <laughs> when when she goes to other places. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, you've told and me that, that is weird how I process that almost all the time. So anytime Connie would invite me to something, the first thing that would come into my mind is, you know, oh my gosh, am I going to be the only black person there? Is it going to be uncomfortable? You know, is it going to be weird? And so I, that was one thing in terms of our friendship that I would think about all the time, all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I got cut to the comfort level that I could just say it to you. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, why don't you want to go? This is a fun event. I said, what well, might be fun for you, <laughs> but it might not be fun for me. <laughs> but you had fun at the Phipps event, I think. You did, yeah. Yeah. It's funny, outside, outside of sometimes the catering staff, I know I'm pretty much going to be the only person of color there. I've kind of gotten used to that. So it hasn't resulted in 
you just have a level of comfort that you're like, okay, hey, this is an event. You've been down this road before. There's someone here that you're friends with. You can working behind the scenes as a producer, you learn how to engage people, have a conversation. Mm -hmm. So you're like, okay, let's navigate it. Sometimes my feeling, and maybe I'm naive, I feel, hey, if I've gotten through another day without having to deal with something derogatory, you know, you're that much ahead of the game. But you, you, you keep in mind that things are out there. As I was driving across country, to come out here, you keep in mind, I'm a black male driving alone across the United States. You know, <laughs> some, and I was saying this to Andy, if I, hopefully if I move back East and considering the way the country was going, I'm going to have a white male friend drive back with me <laughs> for, <laughs> for insurance purposes. Well, it's funny you say that because when Ted, my husband and I first moved to Pittsburgh and our kids were little, you know, we would travel. My family was from Massachusetts and his family was from Virginia Beach. So we would travel like all the time. We would pack the kids in the car and we'd be going on a road trip. And so I was very aware of, um, you know, what, what rest stops we would stop at. And, you know, my husband likes to drive. So he would be just driving and driving and driving. And when the kids had to go to the bathroom, you know, I'd be like, no, 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 no. We have to go to a gas station like a 7-Eleven or someplace where there's lots of lights, lots of people. We can't just go to some little hick gas station like off the beaten path just because it's close. And so, you know, we had a lot of, um, you know, uh, tense conversations in our traveling because my youngest child had to go to the bathroom a lot. <laughs> He had a very tiny little bladder and I'd be like, my husband would be like, he can't possibly have to go again. I'd be like, yeah. And so then, you know, we were grateful to have boys because we got to the point where we would just pull over to the side of the road. And, you know, I hate to say that, but that's what we did. Um, but I was very conscious of like what gas station to stop at. And, um, you know, it was definitely race, it was all about race and, you know, traveling while black, like what could happen? It's well, funny, well, I worked at a, one of the people that I was going to invite, uh, I, when I worked at Susquehanna University for a couple years, um, I had a, did a lot of work with the chief of police there, who is a white guy. And um, I remember telling him before I left there that every single time I was on the highway, I knew that if something ever happened, if I ever got pulled over for anything, that I was going to name drop his name because he was very popular in like the Harrisburg, central Pennsylvania area because of his um, how much he moved up in terms of seniority in the police force. So I was happy to have a white police officer that I called friend. <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that when we were, my parents are both Southerners and they took my sister and I down South. They were going back to Georgia. They hadn't been back in 20 years. They were taking my sister and I with them. And I was really uncomfortable because I just had this image of the South as being, you know, Confederate flags. And it's funny because a few years later, I was going to go to Boston for a visit. My mom was like, well, you know, Boston isn't exactly the most right. welcoming town. So it's interesting. And, you know, my parents were part of that great migration. Yeah. And my mom went from rural Georgia to Chicago. And so when the book, The Warmth of Other Sons came out, yes, I love that it book. was amazing. My mom's a voracious reader, could read six books a week. I gave her a copy of The Warmth of Other Sons. I said, well, what's your name? Because I'm still reading. And I said, you read everything in like one night. Why this book? She's like, well, I lived this. Yeah. So 
I really take into account, I think, what my parents taught us about race. They purposely wanted us to grow up in a small city like Oneida, where we weren't in Utica or Syracuse, where we were had more, where we would have more opportunities, they felt. And they were always very cognizant about quizzing us on trivia mm-hmm. and being cognizant of the issue of race. And so growing up, I think one of the reasons I ended up in journalism is the people of color I felt I related to best when I was growing up that I saw on TV were reporters. Mm. I said, well, they speak like I do. Well, before we close out this podcast, Barbara, could you talk about it from a, a professional perspective, from the work you do and what it means for people to have interracial friendships, why that maybe is important and significant and why we should be intentional as white people, why white people should be intentional about seeking out black friends? Yeah. So I um, work as the um, senior director of race and gender equity, and I do a lot of uh, racial justice uh, workshops um, in both public and private settings. And, um, you know, one of the things that I try to make sure is that whenever I end a workshop, I try to give people, um, empower them to think about how, how they can make a difference. So, you know, you don't have to change the world. You don't have to, you know, be anything more than who you are and use the, you know, circle of influence that you have to make a difference, whether it's whether you say something or you do something, but it's also important to put yourself in places where you learn from the people who are there and those people are different than you because that's the only way, you know, we learn from each other. I I had an interview the other day with a young white man. I think he told me he was from like um, rural Virginia and he was um, a student at a college in uh, Ohio, I believe. And he was doing an interview for a class. And so he had to interview someone who was a, a, a workshop leader. So he was telling me that he had gone, it was a, he's a freshman. He had gone to a party with one of his classmates who was black and his uh, class, he let, they left the party together. And he said, that was a great party. And his classmate said, I didn't think it was that great. And this young man is telling me this story. He said, I couldn't imagine how, both of us could have gone to the same event and I thought it was great and he didn't have a good time and I couldn't understand that. And he said, you know, we did talk about it and his friend told him. And I remember listening to his story and his real intent desire to understand what his black friend was going through. And I said to him, what's important for you is to make sure that you keep that friendship throughout your whole college life so that you can continue to learn what it's like to be a black man in America. And that will be a gift that you can give your friend to know that he has you as a friend and as an ally, because you will start to understand um, some of those issues growing up. So again, I think that friendships are what get us to think about things and hear from people who are different than us about what their experience is. I train with a colleague who's white and it is every day when we're putting together a a workshop, you know, I'm leading a workshop from my black perspective. And so sometimes, you know, I'm passionate about something and she'll say, you know, um, other black people in the room might not feel that way. And, And it has to make me think about, oh, I need to think as a workshop leader about both my black um, uh, ideas 
and her also thinking about how she's perceiving other people might um, receive information. And so it is, it definitely helps you grow as a person for sure. That's the other part. From my perspective, I think it's just missing out, you know, missing out on having a, a rich experience and a, a full life. And you, you just miss out on that perspective. So uh, I'm glad we're, we are on the pathway to becoming friends and um, I'm, you know, so something I really uh, cherish. So thank you. Absolutely. Andy, can I be your friend too? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think that'd be good. Uh, <laughs> since we were, we had a, a working relationship before as a reporter and source. So uh, yeah, we should definitely <laughs> become friends. We can do a road trip to Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, uh, yeah, I mean, Marcus threw that out there and he, you know, he, he was thinking of it from his own perspective of, uh, you know, having security. And I, I was just thinking about the road trip. So uh, <laughs> see, yeah, yeah, exactly. Different perspectives for yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, Connie no, and Marcus. Also, I will say Andrew, Andrew has written an article about diversity in media in Pittsburgh and how a lot of people of color don't stay. They move on. Yeah, And so I'd mentioned this article to him in a text about, hey, you know, did you feel that way when I left as a colleague? And he said, well, for what it's worth, I think of you as a friend and not as a, more as a friend than as a colleague. And I feel the same way. And I've always been welcoming in, in Andrew's home and amongst his family. So I thank you for that. And so a, a full mea culpa here. So when I first, the first draft of that column, I, I wrote in that, my black friend was leaving town and then I showed it to a black acquaintance, I guess, who said, or is this person really a friend or were they an acquaintance? And are you using your friendship as a way to further yourself? Uh, and you know, and, and is that going to impact the other person? So that's why I changed it to acquaintance. So it's funny you came back and asked me if we were actually <laughs> friends. So yes, we're friends. Um, so, uh, thanks to, to, you know, to Connie and Marcus for being here for today's show. And thank you all for listening to Among Neighbors, the podcast on race, power, and privilege. The show originates from the Center for Media Innovation in partnership with the YWCA Greater Pittsburgh. Today's producers are Olivia Valio and Jacob Balistreri. You can find Among Neighbors wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you. Thank you.